Hello, this is Digital Accessibility, the people behind the progress. I'm Joe Walensky, the creator and host of this series. And as an accessibility professional myself, I find it very interesting as to how others have found their way into this profession. So let's meet one of those people right now and hear about their journey. All right, well, welcome back to another episode where I get the opportunity to speak with an accessibility practitioner. And today I'm pleased to be speaking with Richard Morton. Hi, Richard, how are you today? Hi, Joe, yeah, thanks for inviting me. I'm, I'm good, thanks, yeah. Well, uh, I am, as mostly usual, in my home office on Vashon Island, which is near Blinks, Seattle headquarters. Uh, where are you talking to me from? I'm talking to you from Birmingham, England in the UK. Um, as I say, in the centre of England. Yeah, so uh, it's uh, nice and sunny here today as well. All right, great. Well, uh, um, I've, I've had the opportunity to uh, visit there one time uh, and enjoyed that. And uh, it was great to be able to have some perspectives from uh, the UK for uh, this podcast. I appreciate you getting involved. Uh, you know, one of the best places to start would be if you could uh, just talk a little bit about the things that you're involved with right now. Sure, yeah. I mean, what, what I do is um, try and build accessibility capability across the UK government. That's my role, if you like. Um, it's mostly cross government, so it's the different departments within central government, um, the, the national government, if you like, and it's helping to get teams to understand what the needs for accessibility are, raising awareness about that, helping to understand the regulations, you know, the laws that are in place, um, and giving them tips and techniques for how to make things accessible, but also trying to, as I say, build capability through things like training, through things like um, accessibility empathy labs we run through things like clinics we run where people come to us with questions there's we do it through lots of different routes i guess um but there are uk government split up into lots of departments and small organizations and reaching those is quite a difficult task so one of the things we do is uh we run a community of professionals across government digital professionals not necessarily accessibility specialists. Well, I, I guess most of them aren't actually because there's around 1600 people in that group and they share experiences, ideas, raise questions. Um, and the idea is that, you know, it makes it more efficient, makes it a better process for people getting to understand this stuff, um, particularly because people come into government or come to the public sector with not much knowledge about accessibility that's probably been polite very little knowledge in many cases um because the private sector doesn't necessarily do this um terribly well uh you know there are good examples in in larger organizations things like that but a lot of the small organizations just don't know about this stuff and it's not really known in academic institutions either it's not taught in computer science degrees or in design degrees those sort of things so we're constantly having to sort of train people and raise awareness. Um, so that, that's the big thing is, as I say, building capability. Well, it, it, on your uh, LinkedIn profile, it, you have your current title as head of accessibility for government. Uh, is, is that uh, is that the right? That sounds like a really, <laughs> really broad, far reaching position. 
Um, it kind of is. It's more sort of, um, it just means it's a cross-government role. It doesn't mean I head up a massive team across government or anything like that. It's, a, it's an informal title, if you like, across government. So it's a, a sort of, we're a centre of expertise for accessibility, but we're supported by a lot of other professionals across. There are a, a group of, I don't know, 50 or 60 accessibility professionals across government. And there are leaders in other departments, some of the bigger departments. Um, so we all work together. So it's more about coordinating, running the communities, building things through blogs, uh, that sort of thing. And through the communities, we also have meetups. We have talks where we, you know, get, get people to talk about their projects they've been working on, but also get external speakers in as well. And that helps give, you know, a different perspective on things. All right, great. Well, I, um, well, you know, one of the things I like to do uh, with this uh, podcast is to find out how people uh, ended up where they are today. So maybe you could go back in time and pick out uh, maybe the first milestone where you became aware of accessibility as a profession. Uh, you, uh, what would be a good place to start? Sure. I mean, I've been in IT for a long time now, getting on for 40 years, but um probably about the last 16 years of that have been as an accessibility specialist. And that started when I was um, working on testing for um, and other companies for websites. So compatibility testing, if you like, making sure that websites worked, making sure they worked across different browsers, making sure they did what functional specifications said, things like that. And it was just general testing to start with, um, general functional testing, general usability testing. And it developed into accessibility testing because the, the demand was there from certain clients. So um, I, I pretty much became self-taught in how to do that about 16 years ago. And I ran my own business for a long time, doing that for various agencies, um, design agencies, but testing agencies in particular. And they had clients in, in mostly the commercial sector, actually, not so much in sort of public sector and government. Then um, six well, years if, ago, if it, it's it's so so. It sounds like uh, you're able to find your own path with that. Was there something about the accessibility part of the testing that particularly intrigued you, where you began to do more and more of that type of work? To a degree, yes. But I think, to be honest, it was it was largely market driven. If you like the work, that was where the work was. Um, you know, there, there, there was limited amount of ordinary testing or general testing. So I went, I went where the market took me and that's that. But my interest developed over time. And um, this was, you know, originally with, with the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines version one when I started. And that changed obviously back in 2008, I think it was version two. So there's a whole learning curve and had to learn about assistive technologies, had to learn about why we do this stuff. Um, maybe did it in a sort of slightly backwards way if you like um, but that's often what happens with these things isn't it you fall into these things by accident you can do yeah and uh and so then as you uh uh pursued that uh accessibility testing area uh you know essentially uh what was going on at that time were you being uh engaged to uh review certain digital products and, and services and, and identify whether things were in compliance or, or uh, were you also getting involved in the, the design of those systems? 
it wasn't so much the design. I mean, I did some design of my own for small clients. I did develop and design some websites and try to make sure those were accessible. But this was mostly uh, what you call um, web accessibility auditing. So it was it was particularly, you know, using the web content accessibility guidelines, using also things like Section 508, the US standards, um, and auditing sites organizations who are going through a build process if you like and it was often you know often as is the case with these things it was towards the end of the project where they decided they needed to do accessibility testing so it was usually the case that there were a lot of issues to be found and i would do do the tests write a report and then often present it to the developers and designers and go through things with them and that tended to be a sort of educational thing for them because they they often just didn't know this stuff so it wasn't a case of, oh, yeah, thanks for pointing that out. They needed to get to grips with why, why is this important or what is this about? You know, why does it matter whether um, something only works with a keyboard, for example, that, that sort of thing. It was that, it was that basic in a lot of cases. Um, so I had to obviously refine how I did that. Well, you mentioned uh, Section 508, which is related to uh, specifically to United States legislation. Uh, yeah, that was something uh, that I've always been interested in is, uh, um, you know, I guess how important the Section 508 was in terms of things that happened in the UK versus what came out of the W3C, which is a little bit more broadly international. Uh, and then I know you have your own uh, own uh, national standards for that as well. So maybe you could talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what what actually you had to uh, audit against. Yeah, in terms of Section 50, it was specifically for U.S clients or global clients based in the US, if you like. So that that, that was why that happened. Uh, for the UK, it was mostly the web content accessibility guidelines that we ordered against. Uh, also, in some cases, specific internal company guidelines or organizational guidelines. Um, and um, yeah, so, so we, we worked with whatever guidelines we had. They, they, they're quite similar in many ways. Uh, WCAG 1 was quite similar to Section 508 and WCAG uh, two is now similar to the current section 508. So there's a lot of overlap between that, but always um, with the emphasis of going beyond specific compliance and into, you know, best practice and things like that. So not just pointing out something that had to meet a particular requirement, what's the best practice in that area? What's the best way of doing it? So it would be about not just pointing out what the issue was, but pointing out what the potential solution was. Obviously not saying you have to do it this way. There's usually multiple ways to do something but for example giving examples of color contrast uh, colors that would work um you know in terms of color contrast that sort of thing mm -hmm. and um was uh, was there a, a community of uh accessibility colleagues that you worked with to learn about and get ideas from um are there uh um he has accessibility grown up uh, within the UK as a, a place where uh, people look at it as a, an active place to be involved as a professional? Yeah, I mean, it was, I guess it was quite a small group back in uh, whatever year it was, 16 years ago, um, but it's grown since then. It's still, still a small profession, if you like. It's not a massive profession. It's a small profession, but there's a, there's a whole community out there and um you know i'm in touch with most of them through things like twitter but other, other connections as well 
and it's a very collaborative community um you know people are very willing to share ideas and experiences and how they do stuff and you know things around new guidelines coming out for example or new legislation there's a lot of sharing going on and, and you know i think people are in it more for the greater good um than just the individual self-interest if you like i mean obviously people have to work to make money but they're usually very willing to share and you know as a result of that there's a lot of um conferences go on there's been some great ones recently like axcon uh went to and i spoke at last year they, they've become sort of global um particularly with covid it's made it easier to to do these things online more rather than face to face so more people can get to them so there's, there's been a sort of real growth particularly in the last couple of years that, that i've seen that's been fantastic um i mean it's now sort of there's a, there's a season of things coming up over the next couple of months um we have global accessibility awareness day coming up in mid-may which um leads to a, a raft of events going on that week so that's that's really good so as i say there's great collaboration going on yeah and uh so then uh what followed on from the consulting is that where you uh moved into work with the government yeah um i got invited to to come into gds to sort of see if i would be able to help them with accessibility the head of accessibility then um asked me to come in and um yeah i joined about six years ago uh well just over six years ago at uh, the government digital service um been working there ever since apart from the fact that we moved to a different organization last year called the central digital and data office but we're all part of the uk cabinet office which is part of this sort of central government um yeah and they, they asked me to come in to help make sure that things like gov.uk was accessible gov.uk is kind of a shining example of accessibility it was built with accessibility in mind but um, obviously over, over a few years, it's, it's changed and developed and lots of new things, lots of new features, lots of new products as well had come in. And so it was the case that it needed not quite a reboot, but it needed looking at in more detail again. Uh, so I came in to help with that. Um, there were initially just the two of us and then we built a team and we started to do more and more things around um, the internal stuff, gov.uk and the, the pay service and things like that. But then we we did a um, an investigation or research, if you like, into what were the needs of the rest of government uh, teams across government. And we we knew what the answer was, but the research proved that they needed a lot of help in, in building capability. They were all you know they all had good intentions they wanted to make things accessible but they just didn't have the knowledge of how to do this they didn't know when to do it they didn't know what the techniques were they didn't know who needed to do what at what stage all those sort of things so that that's where we went next if you like to, to build capability through through things like training and um in in the uk is there a is there a legislative directive about government organizations being accessible because that's really what the kind of section 508 and, and uh, other parts of the legislation are for for the federal government in the united states so yeah that's similar where uh those organizations you're talking about really do need to be in compliance with that yeah sure i mean it's been for a long time now there's been a thing called the disability discrimination act which says you can't discriminate against people with disabilities in terms of 
services. And that's not just in the public sector, that's across the private sector. That developed and, and became the Equality Act, which protected against nine different characteristics, including disability. Um, but then more recently, there's been what's called the Public Sector Bodies Accessibility Regulations, which came out in 2018. And those are what you were just hinting at, which, which uh, say the public sector has to make things accessible to a particular standard, which effectively is the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines version 2.1 level AA. And this came out of the um, Euro European Union. It was a directive from the European Union for all the EU member states. And obviously the United Kingdom was a member state at the time. Uh, this was before Brexit, before we left the EU. So we created this legislation in our own, in our own um, um, laws and um, that is now in place. And all public sector bodies, with the exception of one or two sm uh, smaller ones or certain certain types, broadcasters, public broadcasters, most of them have to follow this legislation. And it's about making their websites and documents and internal services accessible to everyone according to the sort of principles of accessibility, but following a particular standard. Um, there is a monitoring body for this, which sits within our organisation at the moment. And um, that, that goes around and checks public sector websites. It does it on a sampling basis rather than, you know, there isn't, it isn't possible to check all of the public sector. There's tens, probably hundreds of thousands of websites across the public sector, uh, which is changing every day. So they do it on a sampling basis. They deal with complaints from uh, members of the public or members of internal staff um, to, to, and they can check, you know, they can, they can audit, they can audit uh, websites. They also audit mobile applications, so native applications, and they can audit things like documents as well. Yeah. And is it then that the the lead officers of the different government offices uh, know that they have that responsibility, and that then they identify their own ways to be able to support accessibility? I guess that might include checking in with uh, your office uh, for guidance? Yeah, I mean, they, we can provide them with support in a sort of informal way, but it is ultimately up to each individual public sector organisation to make sure they're meeting the regulations, however they want to do that. Um, they, they basically have to meet the standards. We provide guidance in how they can do that and um, we help them wherever we can. It, there's a limit to what we can do, obviously, uh, but we, we ran a cam campaign for the last two years ending last autumn to try and raise awareness across the public sector and it, it was quite a lot of work we put in to do that because the public sector just wasn't aware of this stuff you know and it, it was a big thing to a big change if you like um yeah so it's 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 certainly worked in the sense that we've seen improvements in accessibility um there's probably a lot of work still to go you know it's not not the end, be all and end all and of course it's it's about compliance and compliance isn't everything compliance is only the sort of bare minimum of what needs to be done to make something accessible that's something i i constantly tell people you know this is just the bare minimum um don't focus on this and think this is all we've got to do i, I know in the united states we have well we have our equivalent the digital service uh uh that uh is responsible for uh similar things uh, in the United States government. I know they put, put out uh, 
specific guidance or, or maybe recommendations on best practices and and uh, I was wondering uh, does your office do things with uh, uh, trying to get off, uh, other uh, agencies to use certain templates or certain best practices I, I imagine it it's extremely difficult to, uh, you know, have any type of standardization across, as you mentioned, potentially uh, hundreds of thousands yeah. of sites. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we've tried to sort of create resources that help. So guidance around the regulations, what people do need to do specifically because of the reg regulations just written in legal, uh, legal form and that. So we've provided guidance for that. We, we've provided us a campaign of raising awareness and training that talks about it and what people's responsibilities are. And we're constantly trying to sort of raise awareness amongst individual um, digital professionals about their need to take on their own part of this responsibility. So a developer has a certain responsibility, a designer has a certain responsibility. We actually work with the US uh, 18F organization to, to help sort of create some of the best practice guidance uh, we work with them on theirs and we use that as a sort of backbone for some of our stuff as well and so as i say that there's collaboration globally on some of these things as well and we created um a guide to the web content accessibility guidelines uh to to make it what we called a work egg primer which was to to make it simpler for teams to understand their responsibilities and what to do because the the work egg guidelines can be a bit dense and difficult to understand and we're doing more work on that now, actually, to, to try and sort of work out how we interpret those guidelines in terms of regulations monitoring so that we can be consistent about it. But also that that can lead to hopefully a better understanding of what works and what doesn't work, you know. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we've done quite a lot of work, I think, on trying to trying to build up resources that people can use and encouraging them to do that. Um, and as I say, things like just a simple thing we run is, is, as I say, a clinic, which we do every week, which is open to anyone across the public sector. We do it by appointment and it's, it's just an hour, but it gives people an opportunity to talk about the issues they might be facing or the plans they've got, or mm -hmm. just ask us about the regulations. And it, it's surprisingly, uh, it's surprising how much you can get done in an hour, how much you can learn in an hour about a project and stuff. And we've done other things like um, create what we call accessibility personas to try and simulate some of the barriers that people might face. And that's that's helped teams with testing, for example, so that they can test against um, a screen reader or something like that. It's, we always point out that it's not this isn't a real life experience, but it helps people get an idea of some of the barriers people face and it can eliminate some of the basic errors, things like that. So yeah, we, we're constantly trying to do that. Well, uh, you've, you've been involved in this for quite a while now. Um, you know, looking toward the the future, are there uh, uh, any certain uh, initiatives that are happening in the in the government or things that your own organization is looking forward to? Uh, you know, moving into the future, or or uh, you know, another uh, aspect to that is uh, like how much have you seen? things change are there certain areas that you think still deserve more uh funding or uh resources than have uh, currently been applied to it 
think that, to be honest, there's been a big focus, as I say, on the regulations and how that affects uh, organisations. And that focus has been largely on the public facing side of things. So people's websites, people's information that faces the public or goes out to the public. There hasn't been so much of a focus on internal systems. And I think that's one area that needs a lot of work is how accessible are your internal systems? They often rely on um, products that are procured from the private sector. Uh, so we're, we're relying on those being accessible and you know not needing too much customization or changes. And that's that's difficult, that is challenging. As I say, there are, there are providers who are providing products that are good, but there are plenty of smaller products that need a lot of work. Um, and it, it's kind of partly around raising awareness in the private sector as well, which we've been doing some work on to try and raise awareness of not their sort of legal obligations, but the fact that their, their market is, is impacted by the fact that the public sector needs to make sure the products they buy are accessible and meet the needs of their internal staff, public servants, civil servants. Um, and it's, I think that's, a, that's going to be a big challenge to continue to do that. It's something we've been doing work on, but there's kind of a long way to go. I think related to that, one of my bugbears, if you like, is the number of documents that are out there that aren't accessible, you know, mostly PDFs, not just PDFs, but mostly portable document format PDFs that um, may not need to be PDFs for a start. We, we discourage the use of them wherever possible, but where they are used, you know, we want to make sure that they've been treated as being made accessible from the start if possible but there are literally thousands of them being produced probably every month so it's 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 a big task so there's a lot of work still to do on that yeah well uh, uh richard uh, i want to thank you for uh taking the time to chat with me about the things going on in in your organization in in the uk and uh, hopefully we can um meet in person uh, at some point maybe if i'm i'm uh, in the uk or you're in the united states yeah great that'd be cool <laughs> all right thanks a lot thanks very much jay hi i'm joe walensky and as host of the digital accessibility program i like to keep the focus on our amazing guests but I'm always excited about my role as Accessibility Director at Blink, the producer of this program, and I'd like to share that with you. Blink is the world's leader in evidence-driven design, and we work with a wide variety of clients. Founded in Seattle, we also have offices in Boston, New York, Austin, San Diego, and San Francisco. Our stated mission is to make technology human. Embracing inclusive design and accessibility brings all of us closer to that mission. We bring accessibility in every one of our projects. Our philosophy is that each of our practitioners should understand how accessibility applies to their own work. Accessibility is not a separate department or activity for us. Our researchers, designers, and developers all employ accessibility principles at every stage. If you have a need for research and design services, Blink is a partner with a full-time commitment to making your product or service accessible and a great experience for all of your customers. Some of the specific areas where we can help, using research to better understand the needs of your customers with disabilities, innovating to make sure your accessibility is the best in class design, 
We can move existing designs to development in a sprint. And maybe most importantly, we provide a turnkey transformation to an accessible site or app. Of course, compliance status is something that we always include as part of the service. If any of this is of interest, please get in touch with me directly at joe at blinkux.com. That's J-O-E at B-L-I-N-K-U-X dot com. Thank you. And please take a moment to rate our program in whatever app you use.